6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32. was able to open the scroll, neither to look on it. Now, that's the generality. Fortunately, there's an exception we're about to encounter. But John, you and I, as we read this, we're a little puzzled. And John, apparently, that's the person describing this, did understand what was going on. Because in verse 4, it says, I sobbed convulsively. I wept much in your King James. The Greek implies extremes. He sobbed convulsively. He was really broken up. John was shook because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look upon it. Strange, strange passage. Fortunately, verse 5, one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Seven seals. Seven is the, the number of completeness. The book was completely sealed. But fortunately, there is one who is worthy. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David. Those are titles of whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. You bet. Those titles are introduced earlier in the book, and, and here there are 24 titles introduced in chapter 1, and they become the links throughout the rest of the book, identity links. And these, of course, are it, you know titles of Jesus Christ from Genesis onwards. Lie of the tribe of Judah, and the root of David, sometimes called the root, sometimes the branch. We'll see Jeremiah uh, use that phrase a lot. Hath prevailed, that is overcome, to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And John says, And I, be, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain, or as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. That's the sounds. The seven hordes and seven eyes is a bizarre kind of thing. You'll find some of the Renaissance pa pa painters try to paint this literally. That's, obs that's obscene. It's an idiom. It's a, uh, an idiom of the Old Testament. Seven horn was a classical symbol of authority. Seven horns was complete authority. Seven eyes was complete knowledge. And the seven spirits of God which are sent forth in all the earth, they're listed in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. The seven spirits before God's throne. It's an Old Testament phrase for what in the New Testament would be called the Holy Spirit. These phrases, one of the things, the secrets to understanding the book of Revelation is to recognize its Jewishness. The book of Revelation was probably, some, uh, the, the, even though it's written in Greek, the thought patterns are Hebrew. There are even some scholars that believe it was originally written in Hebrew and then translated into Greek, John being fluent in both languages. But the thought patterns are Hebrew, the 
the idioms are drawn from the Old Testament. So the more conversant you are with the Old Testament, the more comfortable the book of Revelation is to you. If it seems strange, it's because you're probably more familiar with the New Testament than the Old. It draws heavily. 154 direct quotes from the Old Testament in the book. Now, and he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, verse 7. Okay. And then when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the four and twenty elders, fell down before the Lamb, and have every one of them harps and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Oh, this Lamb, first of all, the title was the Lion of the tribe of Judah, but when John looks, he sees the Lamb. Now, he doesn't see a four-footed Lamb. He sees the Lamb of God as a title of Jesus Christ. In fact, the title by which he was introduced publicly by John the Baptist in the, in, in, when, he, when he first made his appearance, the Lamb of God, a, a Passover title, by the way. A Passover lamb. But again, it's a title. Don't, don't confuse these Old Testament codes or cliches or idioms with a graphical drawing. Kind of, it's, uh, it would be inappropriate. So these, uh, verse 9, they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Thou hast made a, us unto our God a kingdom of priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And on it goes. And there's uh, continual adorations and uh, worship of the Lamb. And then what we have, of course, from chapter 6 through chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, are these uh, are, are a series of things. The seven seals are open, seven trumpets are blown, seven bowls of wrath are poured upon the earth. And the whole book of Revelation unfolds. But what's happening here is most scholars view this seven-sealed book as a title deed. And they, uh, for drawing from uh, both the way it operates in the book of Revelation and also from the stage that's been set in the Old Testament. It's a title deed not to the land of Israel, a title deed to the earth. Dominion was originally given to Adam and Adam forfeited it by uh, yielding to Satan. So the planet Earth is under the jurisdiction of a usurper. The Bible speaks of the God of this world. Jesus Christ, the God of this world? Not the way Paul uses the phrase. God of this world is none other than Satan himself, the, a usurper. The kingdoms of this world, the nation of this world, its entertainment, its structures, its culture, belongs to whom? Satan. That's an uncomfortable feeling. Don't think that the, the domain of Satan is limited to the occult. It's uh, much, uh, much broader than that. If you, don't, if you want to really understand how broad it is, look at Daniel chapter 10. When Daniel prays and, and, and this messenger comes and, and it turns out that he's been withheld, you get a spooky glimpse into the powers and principalities and dominions, which are phrases in the Bible speaking of ranks of angels. And these are the sinister ones under Satan's command and how they're behind every government, the Greece and the Persians and so forth. Is there a, you know, a prince of the power of the United States? You bet. Strange, strange glimpse in this spooky, spooky side of things. But more simply put, remember the temptations of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Satan, in one of those three temptations, shows our Lord Jesus Christ, somehow, all the nations of the earth in a moment of time. Whether it's by vision or you know, how might the, the technology used is irrelevant. Satan shows Jesus Christ all the nations of the world and says, I can give them, they're given to me, and I can give them to whomever I like. Satan makes that boast. If that boast was not valid, there's no temptation. If I offered you tonight the opportunity to purchase the Golden Gate Bridge from me for $25, are you tempted? Hardly. Because you have a certain suspicion in your heart that I don't own the Golden Gate State Bridge. Let's assume you knew I owned the Golden Gate Bridge and I offered to sell it to you for some compromising act. Then you've got a temptation. If you're in some authority in some uh, Orange County post and I come to you, look, I'll transfer the title of the Golden Gate Bridge to you if you'll just approve this building permit or something. In order for you to be tempted, you have to believe that I own the Golden Gate Bridge. If you know I don't, there's no temptation. But if you know I own the bridge, then you might be tempted to compromise your ethics or something, should I give you that kind of a proposition, right? For Jesus Christ to be tempted by Satan, it only makes sense if you recognize that Jesus Christ does not challenge his ownership. He doesn't challenge Satan's claim that the world is his and he can give it to whomever he likes. Strange, strange passage, the temptations of Jesus Christ. And Satan will get, convey it all to Jesus if he'll just worship him. What's he offering, Jesus? A shortcut. Don't go by the cross. That's tough. That's the hard way. Take a shortcut. Hey, you want to listen? I'll give it to you. Just worship me. That's simpler. And Jesus passes on that one. I shall love the I shall worship the Lord only. Him only shalt thou serve. Now, some of these lessons, if you a part of your biblical background is to do a study, understand the origin and career and destiny of this strange creature called Lucifer, son of morning, called Satan, our accuser. He's got fifty-two titles in the scripture. And he is going to build his counterfeit. And it's going to be a counterfeit in many, many ways. And he's going to have his man show up. And he's going to make his protege the same proposition he made Jesus Christ. He's going to offer him all the nations and kingdoms of the world if he'll but worship him. And this guy does. And he, and then, and Satan empowers him to be the most attractive, most followed, most successful ruler the planet Earth has ever seen. And this guy is probably alive today and will make his, his career visible, but not to us, if I understand the Scripture correctly. That's a whole other thing. Now, Jesus Christ purchased the world Remember the parables of Matthew 13? The field? And, and, the, and the person wanted the treasure. that We didn't want the whole field. He wanted the treasure that was in the field. So what did he do? He went and sold all he had and bought the field so they could have the treasure. What was the field? The world. What does he want? A treasure within the... Jesus Christ purchased the world. 
everything, everything on a cross over 1900 years ago. That gave him title, not possession. Jesus Christ hasn't taken possession yet. Where is he seated? He's not seated on his throne. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, we could we started some time ago talking about the, the, the fullness of the Gentiles. We talked about that last time? Okay. God's people are numbered. They're not infinite. They're numbered. Infinite means without limit. God's people are numbered. And we could build a whole case. It's not a conclusive case. It's not free of controversy that the 24 elders represent the church. But that's a whole other controversy we don't need to get into tonight. But the Lord Jesus Christ is waiting for the Father to tell the Son, go get him. And when that number is full, when the church is complete, that's when the countdown starts. And among the, 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 the things that happen, in fact, that's what Revelation describes, is there will be this seven-sealed book put forth. That's the title deed. The title deed has to be taken by a kinsman. In order for the kinsman to be before the throne of God, he's got to be pure, righteous. Adam was till he sinned. No other man was save Jesus Christ. He is our kinsman redeemer. And he has to be able to perform. And, of course, our Lord is. That's the whole. That's why there's this incredible adoration by all the creation, by the, by the, the four super cherubim around the, the, the throne, by the 24 elders and so on, and, and, and there's just it goes on with all this uh, adoration because he was worthy, that is, able to perform. You know, as you, when, you, when you first discover Jesus Christ, the fact that God became man and dwelt upon the earth, that blows you away. When you really realize that God, the creator of the universe, chose to take on flesh and, and dwell among us, that sort of is a breathtaking concept to, to try to assimilate. And as you grow in a Christian walk, you, you, you embrace that, and it just it, it amazes you as you discover all the ramifications of that. But then what really surprises me isn't that God became man. When you understand what his righteousness demands, and when you understand what man is, and how far we've fallen, and the gulf that exists between us and what God's destiny for us is, the amazing thing is not that God became man, but that there is right now while I'm speaking to you a man at the throne of God. When you really understand what righteousness demands there are, the concept that there is a man at the throne of God is mind-blowing. Don't think of Jesus Christ as being a man for 33 years. When he took upon, took upon himself flesh in Mary's womb on, he became a man forever. Forever. And right now, today, tonight, while we talk, there is a man at the throne of God, a man that is qualified to be our kinsman redeemer. And at the appointed time, he can step forth and he can take title to that which he purchased. And what happens in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation singular, from 4, 
through chapter 19 is his taking possession of that which he purchased. And it involves dispossessing the land of the usurpers. Now, if you want to understand this in smaller model terms, study the book of Joshua, where Yehoshua dispossessed the land of, its, of the usurpers and conquered it um, with his chosen people. In that case, it was Israel taking the land of Canaan, dispossessing the, the Canaanites, the seven tribes that remained. Three were put down, and there were seven left, and those seven tribes are seven kingdoms are the subject of the conquest under Joshua, but actually under Jesus Christ, if you read Joshua 5 carefully. And it becomes a model of the book of Revelation. Except the book of Revelation, we're going to move the decimal point over. I guess we could go on and on, and there's no limit to this. But the point is, is that uh, this concept that we have introduced here in Jeremiah of the title deed, the purchasing of his land, is the Holy Spirit's way of alerting you about title insurance, alerting you to the idea of a title deed, and to fill out the model in Jeremiah 32, you have to visualize after the captivity when Jeremiah's kinsman redeemer will show up and perform the requirements on the uh, deed and break the seals and take possession of the land that was purchased at Anathoth. And that's a small microcosm a uh, micro example, if you will, of what's ha going to happen later when none other than Jesus Christ will take the title deed and since he's qualified, he will break the seals and take possession of that which he purchased so long ago uh, to be our inheritance. Not just the land of Israel, the land of the... the, the, the there's nothing nothing local about the book of Revelation. It's uh, it's very Jewish on the one hand, but very global uh in its uh, idioms. Okay, that's not bad. We got down to verse 15. Okay, at this point, let's just keep moving. And in, in, uh, in Jeremiah 32, verse 16. Now, when I delivered the deed of, pur of the purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, I prayed unto the Lord, saying, Now we're going to have quite a prayer here, by the way. And I think probably the best thing to do is just read it through because it's pretty self-explanatory. I've got a few notes and things, but I'll probably just distract you. Let's just go through it. Uh, verse 17. Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. What a great opening. What a good opening. When you pray, do you start that way? You know, someone taught me once to pray with acts, right? Adoration, confession. Right? Thanksgiving. Supplication. Very good, yeah. That's another bad order. Adoration, confession, and uh, Thanksgiving. And then when you've done all that, then you put, you know, we tend to just put S. Hey, Lord, here's my menu. My, here's my shopping list today, you know. Um, yeah, I suspect that the ACTS model isn't a bad one and, and probably... Uh, also in dominance of time. You know, you can do, you, it's interesting to see Jeremiah open with adoration. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. How beautiful that is, to adore him. But to adore him specifically. For whose benefit, yours or his? Yours. Gets you in the right 
scope reminds you who you're talking to. Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands and recompensest the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of the children after them. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel, mighty in work, for thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give every one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. That's scary. That's scary. Now, I, I, admittedly, this, still, this is still adoring, but boy, there's some heavy stuff here. Uh, fortunately, down here, we're going to talk about mercies, but uh, when you get down there, you realize that's the important part, because I'm not too excited about him, uh, the fact that he knows all my ways, because my ways aren't that presentable. And uh, so uh, and uh, the fact that he is a just God scares me. If that's all I knew, I would be very scared. Fortunately, he's very merciful, and he's gone out of his way to take care of my inadequacies by putting me in Jesus Christ. But the adoration goes on. The great, the mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name, great in counsel, mighty in work. For thine eyes are open upon all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. <laughs> I love the way Chuck Smith puts it. He has a tender way of expressing it. The Lord loves us so much he can't take his eyes off it. And neat. Carry, he keeps his eyes on me all the time. But uh, Verse 20. Who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, even unto this day? That's interesting, but I won't get into that one tonight. And in Israel, and among other men, and has made thee a name as at this day, and has brought forth thy people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror. You know, it fascinates me all through the Old Testament how the Holy Spirit uses that particular event, the exodus from Egypt, as an identity piece. The Lord did a lot of amazing things. You go through the Scripture, you know, I mean, the flood of Noah, you can talk about all kinds of things that are pretty awesome. But it's interesting, the one that emerges as the sign, the, the real authentication, the real uh, main, main event was this exodus from Egypt in many respects. Verse 22, And hast given them this land which thou didst swear to their fathers to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they came in and possessed it. But they obeyed not thy voice, neither walked in thy law. They have done nothing at all that thou hast commanded them to do. Therefore thou hast caused all this evil to come upon them. Behold the siege mounds. They are come unto the city to take it, and the city is given to the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword and of the famine and of the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken has come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. See, now he's not prophesying here. You can look out over the wall, there it is out there, the siege mounds and the, and the clamor of the troops on the siege. Thou hast said unto me, O Lord God, buy the field with money and take witnesses, for the city is given into the land of Chaldeans. Then came the word of the Lord unto Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city unto the hand of the Chaldeans and into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And all the Chaldeans that fight against the city shall come and set fire to this city, and burn it with the houses and upon whose roofs they have offered incense unto Baal and poured out drink offerings 
unto other gods to provoke me to anger. We've talked about rooftops. You understand that they're like, yeah, okay, we've talked about all that. By the way, that they're going to burn the city with fire. You want to know an interesting little irony? In Deuteronomy 13, it's interesting. In fact, I might turn to it. Deuteronomy 13, there's the rules, the law, um, what they're supposed to do if they come across idol-worshiping nations. In Deuteronomy 13, we start about verse 12, uh, they're instructed in the Torah to say, If thou shalt hear a report in one of thy cities which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, worthless fellows, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods which ye have not known. Then, thou shalt, uh, sh then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently, and behold, if it be truth, then the thing certain that such abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly, and all that is therein and the cattle thereof with the edge of the sword. And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it in the midst of the street thereof, and thou shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof every whit for the Lord thy God, and it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. That was a punishment. That's what they were supposed to do if they encountered idolatry. What's wrong with Jerusalem? They're idol-worshipping. What's God going to do with Jerusalem? Cut it down with the edge of the sword and burn it. And he's raised up the Babylonians to do that. The Babylonians don't know that. But God is using them to enforce Deuteronomy 13. Interesting, isn't it? It always fascinates me how God uses his law consistently. When Joshua entered the land, in the land in the book of Joshua, and they and the nations federate themselves under Adonai Zedek, this king that calls himself the Lord of Righteousness. He ends up defeating that Adonai Zedek in the Battle of Beth Horon, Joshua about chapter ten. You've been listening to sixty six forty, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.